HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. HRN is food radio supported by you. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org. This episode is brought to you by Roberta's, home of Heritage Radio Network for 10 years. Learn more about Roberta's at robertaspizza.com. Darren Bresnitz. April Jones. It's good to have you back on this side of the pond. Always nice. (laughs) I'm happy to be back and I'm happy to be joining you again to introduce our latest episode of the Culinary Call Sheet. Yes. This gentleman is a dear friend of yours. Yes. Yes. uh, Not just a dear friend of mine, but an old friend and one of the reminders of why I keep going back to the well of working in food TV because it means the opportunity to work with with people like Chef Del Talday. Well, I have to say that, I mean, obviously we got to do pre-interviews and interview and do everything with him. It was really exciting to meet him and talk to him. I did not know what to expect. And so this episode was actually like a little bit of a, like, uh, a little course for me in Del Talde and like his whole journey. And it was really nice. It was a really nice way to produce an episode to learn so much about somebody that I just hadn't put on my radar, which is shocking considering his very diverse and vast resume. It's a good reminder too, because I am, I'm friends with Dale. Like I consider myself friends. I consider Mm -hmm. that he considers me a friend. And when we've gone out together to eat or been out in the world and people stop him or say, oh, I love you on TV. Oh, I love your restaurant. Oh, I love you. I'm like, oh, yeah, this guy is a big deal on TV. Not because he isn't, but because he's so nice and he's so generous with his time and he's so easy to talk to that I forget that people have seen him on Top Chef, have seen him on Taste Made with his own show, All Up in My Grill, have seen him on endless and countless daytime TV performances, the point where he's a chef TV star. He's a culinary TV star. Well, where did you two meet? I actually used to DJ his uh, food and wine New York parties at Budokan. Um, I love he it. He used to do a Sunday dim sum party that my brother and I would DJ for years. Um, and we've gone to f- uh, food and wine in Miami. We've just we've been we've been in different parts of the world together. Um, and we were lucky enough uh, to work together on his show um, for Taste Made these last couple of years and just. Anytime's in LA or anytime I'm in New York, we get to grab a bite together. But um, it's just a valued friendship, and he's really good at what he does. And getting to watch yeah. him over the years, 
refine his his craft and be able to cook and talk to camera and tell stories and hit his beats as a talent. It's really amazing to watch. Well, and that's what this whole episode is about, is really seeing how somebody can get into both the culinary world, but the culinary media world, and how mm-hmm. Dell has managed to balance both, because he has a really long, diverse career in the kitchen, but he also was, it, multiple times he was on Bravo's Top Chef, mm-hmm. right? He also was on Chopped, Iron Chef, mm-hmm. Knife Fight, uh, he was a guest judge on Top Chef. He was a guest mm-hmm. judge on Chopped. He was a guest judge on Beat Bobby Flay. Literally, we will talk about Bobby in every episode. There's not a thing he hasn't touched. So this episode really covers how to both be a celebrity chef as well as a real deal restaurateur. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I think he's representative of this class of chef who started as chefs, worked in real kitchens, and then found their way onto TV. The early days of competition series, which really opened the door to the everyman. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so this was like your post-superstar Bobby, Ina, Food Network heavy hitters, and then pre-maybe, I'd say, influencer, new talent. And, and- – oh. <laughs> no, we both have an and. Go. Okay. Here, your and. Here, go your and. And it's something that's great because it informs his restaurants. It informs this other part of his life too, right? And I think that that's something that's interesting. You and I talk a lot about how people approach us and are like, you should follow me in my restaurant. You should follow me in my bakery. You should follow my food truck. Um, And there's something to be said for that, right? Like, I think there are a lot of things people can get here, especially if they're coming from a restaurant world looking to break into culinary media. Yeah, I love it. What's your and? Oh, my and was that he understands how long production days could be. Oh. (laughs) I'm on one. I got excited. No, no, no. I just, you know, he's a guy who understands uh, the behind the scenes of the magic in making food TV. Yeah. So I guess without further ado, do you want to talk to your bud? I do. He's calling us from Goose Feather his restaurant up in Terrytown, New York. So let's add Dale Talley's name to the culinary call sheet. Dale, it is always so great to sit down with you. It's always a pleasure. We've known each other now for well over a decade. We met well over. mid-aughts in the culinary scene. Take us through what the restaurant dining scene was and what you were doing during that time. I got to New York City 2005 to open Morimoto with Stephen Sarr. We got it going 2006. Um, it was just an incredibly stressful time for me. New city, didn't really know anyone here, and I didn't. I wasn't. I wasn't in the scene. I lived in Astoria. If you know anything about New York City, getting from Astoria to the West Side, you basically should just have a passport. <laughs> but that's where I was. And then a year and a half later, 2007, I'm, I go to Budokan. Uh, I start there with Steven Star. And that really was, I felt really at home there. How did you discover this scene? What like pushed you to go to this level of culinary, like greatness in restaurants? Um, I graduated in 99 um, from CIA and did my, did my thing in Chicago for six years and suddenly found myself without a job and kind of saw it as like a sign from God to be like, listen, go to, go to New York. Like Mm -hmm. New York is Mecca, you know, a restaurant. (laughs) I mean, new, the New York scene, the dining scene, 
was electric at that time. Um, I will say WD-50 changed my life. The meal I had with, um, on my birthday with my brother, I would say in 2006, showed me what food could be and that there was a bigger world out there. And, you know, part of that bigger world was seeing more and more food on TV. I know that April and I had gotten our start in working on more traditional cooking shows. But what was your relationship or what was your thought with food TV at the time, um, especially among yourself and other colleagues on the line? So, you know, for me, it was really, I think, you know, we we knew to give props to the, to the original Dump and Stir shows. Like, I, I, I you know, I watched... I watched Bobby and, and that barbecue show with him and that other dude with the overalls. Grilling and chilling. Yo, I watched that. We all yeah, did. We all We're like, did. Yeah. We're like, what is this? Because this isn't Julia Child. Yeah. And there was something like real, like, I don't know. It was different. It was refreshing. You know, Emerald show, you made it feel like this was like primetime TV. Mm. I don't know. I dogged it for a while. Right. We always, we all watched Iron Sure. And thought to ourselves, this is hard, but I, I want to do this. It was always something, you know, especially when you watch the original, the old school Iron Chef, the Jap, you know, Japanese version, and then you see the new, the new, the new version. Like I want to do that. I want something I expi- I aspire to do, because you felt like it was such an honor to be asked to do that show. Mm-hmm. So you're like, I want to do this. I think it was probably 2006, 2007. You start to see this new brand of like reality cooking competition show. Yeah. And this was season one with Harold Dieterle and Leanne Wong. And Leanne, I think, was at 66, John George's restaurant at the time. Mm-hmm. And it was just like, oh, my God. Like, I know where these people – This, this, these are colleagues. I mean, it, it, immediately addictive. The format was super, like – was, you know, we'd seen it in Survivor. It was that format of, like, hers. Yeah. 18 people went down to one. That's what got me hooked on that show. And it was just – I don't know. I just – I couldn't stop watching it. It felt like, hey, if you'd worked at a tasting menu restaurant, you know, you're about to put out the lamb course and the, the person, you know, a four top says, I don't eat lamb. Mm. All of a sudden, that person says, I don't eat lamb. So the chef turns around to you and goes, make something without lamb. That's a protein that's in the red meat world. <laughs> and you got to bang it out real quick. Yeah. You have to figure it out, you know. So it, it felt like a quick, you know, the quick fires felt like, Oh, I know what this is because this is like every this is partly everyday stuff. Sometimes, mm. it's but do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like there was this 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 like real alamanute like um, style, pressure. yeah, pressure and cooking trial by fire. That, yeah, that they just threw it at you and you had to create on the spot, and that's like for a lot of chefs like myself, that was addictive. Mm. That creativity was addictive and like that to me was super cool about it well speaking of this sort of like competitive nature and like flying by the seat of your pants what was the audition like this casting was happening and i totally skipped my mind and i walked in and they were already there were uh, a couple they were already closing everything up and walking out the door and i was like oh i guess i'm late and they took one look at me and go you can do one more oh so they sat me down and they start asking me questions. And of course, like as like a 28-year-old, you know, hey, I work at one of the busiest restaurants in New York City. You cannot, can't get a reservation for a couple months. I think I'm a tough guy. <laughs> I, think I'm, I, think I'm, I think I'm bad, you know. I think I'm like dope. So I talk, they, you know, like, oh, how do you feel about someone like Padma, you know, judging your food? I'm like, I'm never going to let some supermodel who doesn't need tell me what my food's like. 
you know, and they're like, you know, what about someone, you know, what about, you know, Tom and all this other stuff. And I was like, listen, I'm here to win. Da, 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 da. I got a resume, you know, my, just check the resume, keep the resume, my game. You know, I've been doing this for a while. Um, Did they see you as the villain? Yeah. Oh yeah. They oh, like, you, you are such an asshole that you will be great on the show. And I was wow. like, okay. Thanks guys. Yeah. Listen, I, I knew what they meant. It's not like yeah. I didn't know who I was. I was very, I knew who I was. And it was really a it was a personality test. Mm. What are some of the the takeaways from this process, the things that you you personally learned and you saw other people learn, or the common takeaways that people who have been on Top Chef experienced? I think one of the most important things is that your voice as a chef and your sense of authorship is one of the most important things that you could ever have. Ever, period. Um, and and it, it should never be compromised. Never. So I think a lot of times mm. what happens is that like you get in these competitions, you get in a group setting, and then you kind of just, you know, you want to be a nice person. Mm. Well, the reality is if someone disagrees with what you're saying, you need to speak up and say, no, this is, I feel very strongly that this is what I want to do. And even if you don't believe in this, I'm going to do this anyway. Mm. Because I know that this is this is my voice, not your voice, or our. This is our voice, but this specific dish. I need this part of the dish or the, these flavor profiles to sing through because it's who I am. And of course, I think chemistry chemistry always builds championships. You know, especially if you're in Top Chef and you go in a group setting, you have to pick the people you're going to work with the, that work with the best, not the best chefs there. Yeah, right. It's a difference between that, and I think that it's. Mm-hmm. So those are a couple of things that I think you take away from. I think there's a takeaway that like, listen, I can do anything. Literally, legit, nothing is too hard when you've done these competitions because they throw so much at you. Hey, in 24 hours, cater a wedding for 300 people <laughs> with, four, with four people that you hate. I know you just said you want to be yourself and maintain your authenticity, but you're also in entertainment. And I want to chat about what that actually looks like. Cause I think a lot of people think you will just follow them with a camera and they can do whatever they want and that's it. But you probably had to curate to some extent how you spoke, what you did. And we know this Darren and I as producers and directors in this field that we do have to find these sort of like connective tissue pieces for the show. Can you tell us a little bit about that experience finding your TV self? Yeah, I mean, mine wasn't that hard. I mean, I went on as a, I went in on an ass as an asshole, and I left as an asshole. Mm. <laughs> that was, very, mm. was an easy one. Like, so I was, the growth <laughs> has been flat. Just a bigger asshole. Very Just lateral, a bit. It was a very lateral move. Um, yeah, yeah. A lot of growth in that uh, Dale Paul day as a TV character. That was season four, right? That was my first right. Season. And can I tell you what? It's a unique point of view that a lot, a lot of people have of seeing themselves act up on TV. Nowadays, it's easy to see someone act up. You just turn on TikTok or whatever, and you see people act like jerks or Karens or they act like complete morons. Before, I was like, oh, this was a very out-of-body experience. And to see my parents be embarrassed of my behavior, mm. my change, right? But it was easy. I was, the, I was the, like, people didn't like me. Had you thought about it, though, before you went on TV? Did you think, no? No. So when did you actually think about who your TV self was? <laughs> Or did you even realize they were asking you questions or curating your personality in any way? Can I tell you Top Chef really doesn't do that? God bless. Hmm. They, let you, they let you be a jerk. They just let you be it. They just turn the camera on. And that's what's so great when I, when I hear some of the people go, oh, I was edited in a big bad. 
really uh, what can I tell you what gets what does get manufactured is I think when they got to spice things up, all of a sudden a couple bottles of tequila show up at the house that weren't there. And you're yeah. like, oh, where was this? You know, yeah. what was that? You know, sleep deprivation. That's one thing that I think that they they know how, how to do is to set the scene. They, they make you tired. Yeah. Yeah, they get you tired. When you're done competing for 16 hours, we're going to do interviews for another three hours. Yeah. I mean, and if you're watching it and you know how it's put together, you know how long the days are. You start looking at what people are wearing and the outfits yeah. and you go, they cooked all day mm-hmm. and then they did interviews. For that hour of television, we all filmed. For the hour of television. Anywhere from yeah. 16. <laughs> While this is all going on, you're on TV, the show airs, you're still working in the restaurant. Were you able to use this in a stepping stone in any way for your career? I mean, it was crazy. We were literally throwing like parties, viewing shows and parties like to watch it. And I was like, you're getting recognition that you never thought you had before. And especially for someone like me who like literally is kind of invisible, right? Like this, I, I have, I think I have a, a nice personality, but it's tricky. it is. And it, it takes someone who's a lot stronger than myself to deal with it because I didn't deal with it well. But um, you start to understand that this is a real platform right mm. millions of people have seen you or are seeing you it's going to be on syndication you know after season airs you're like oh, okay i guess that's it then all of a sudden you start to get messages from brazil and australia and dubai and people are like oh i saw you in season four and you're like wow whoa the reach is crazy right um i started to understand like hey i need to what do i need to do to make this into um one a career and make this a positive thing um, and, and to get some of my goals of owning my own restaurants. So what were those things that you understood in order to make that happen? You leverage your visibility in meetings when, when talking to investors and, you know, Hey, look, you know, people are going to, um, see me from top chef or you meet people who are honestly will say, Hey, I saw you in top chef. Can we talk about the concept that I have? And it goes from there. And now you start to ask for things. Mm. You start to ask, you start to learn how to ask for things, mm. right? I think even that TV world, if you don't ask, you don't get, right? Some of us just think that things are going to be like, they're going to see how hard I work and they're going to hand me this. Mm. Then no, that's, not how work, that's not how life works. Nope. No. You have to demand and you got to ask and you have to like put your foot down and say, no, this is how it's going to be. That really helped in that aspect of, of my career. And so were you able to use your newfound TV fame to start your own restaurant group? 100%. And that's how a lot of investors knew who I was. Mm. So even in, even to start the conversation, mm-hmm. we watch you on Top Chef. Great. Hey, I have a business plan. I'm trying to open a restaurant. Here it is. They will have already done the work too. They'll Google you, see you on TV and say, hey, you killed it on these TV shows. So what are you doing next? And it's a way in, right? It's a way yeah, in. Absolutely. You get shown the door. It's your job to open it and, and start it from there. But at least it started conversations that I know I wouldn't have had with other people. And I, always, I told every person that hit me up, you got one year. You got one year until this next cycle happens. Mm. Then you're going to be, you're gonna, people are going to forget. Unfortunately, people are going to forget about you. Yeah. So make the most out of it. Um, squeeze as much juice out of this fruit as you can. Yeah. But also set goals and realistic goals. And like, you know, like I want, an, I want, a, I want a cooking show. So does everybody else. <laughs> and you better not go into a meeting and. You better not start it with, I want to be the next Anthony Bourdain. Thank you. No, thank thank you. you. Nobody wants to hear that shit. Nobody. I want to be the next Anthony Bourdain. Well, there was only one. Are yeah. you him? There's only one. And that person, unfortunately, is not around anymore. I know. Find so, your own story. And uh, Have your own yeah. story. Have your own journey. Create your own narrative. Yes. You know, create, go, and, and draw off the things that 
uh, that are powerful in your life, like you're an immigrant or this, you know what I mean? And, and I spoke to those people about that and be like, talk about that because that's the story people want to hear. They don't want to hear that you go to, you know, this right, they, that you went to this country and you ate this food. No one cares about that. They'll just do it yeah. themselves. Yeah. So if you had to give any sort of advice, like what would you say to chefs who are opening their own restaurants but also want to do TV? If you want to get on TV and you're opening a restaurant, I would say try and not open the restaurant anywhere near any time you have to be shooting. Hmm. The restaurant needs your complete and utter attention. And then when it's running and you have a great team, then you can back off. Um, the media part of it, you have to give it just as much work as restaurants. Practice. If you want to get into a cooking competition, you better work your ass off to get on there. Uh, it's not one of those things where it's like, hey, I'm blessed with talent. I'm going to walk on and be the best. No. So you got to be at home practicing. You have to be in front of the camera. You have to look at yourself speaking these lines. You have to look at yourself as a host if you want to do hosting. Um, and you need to practice and practice in other people's kitchen where you don't know where anything mm. is because that's the scene, right? Oh, you have 20 minutes to cook something, but you're in your own home kitchen. You know where everything is in your mm -hmm. own kitchen. That's not what this is. Right. If you want to get into that world, you have to be on, you have to do the work of saying, okay, I just worked a 10 hour shift, 12 hour shift at work. Now I'm going to spend some time on my YouTube channel. Yeah. So people understand that I can do this. Mm. I can do this. And that's the kind of work it takes and dedication. If that's what you want to do, Absolutely. it's not just going to be like saying it and it happened. It's like, Hey, grind and do the work. Yeah. It's a full-time job. hundred percent. I want to know actually what the difference was for you from being, going from being a competitor on mm. television to a judge in the competitive culinary world. I think the main thing was be coherent. Like people are relying on how descriptive you are about the whole situation, not just what, what you're doing in the moment, like play out the scene, describe what you're seeing, describe what you're tasting more importantly. Yeah. And then mm. be critical. As a judge, did you feel like you had to practice how to speak in a balanced way since you weren't really coming from it solely as your, your own point of view? Um, the TV world needs goods and bads. Yeah. Mm. Whether you like it or not. You know, whether you think this dish completely sucks, you have to find a positive about it because there has to be a reveal, right? It can't just be like the person in the 15th minute of a 30 minute show can't be like that guy lost because they just shit all over his, those three dishes he made. You have to give him something. But as a restaurant owner and as a chef, I knew how to be critical and to give the good mm -hmm. and the bad. You know, you give the Oreo cookie. I knew how to do that. So yeah. Oh yeah. I love the Oreo cookie. Yeah. The good, the bad, the good. So wait, is the cream the bad? Yeah, it's yeah. the sandwich too. I always call it the sandwich. It's the sandwich, the good, the bad, the good. Yeah, and um, you sandwich that bad mm. news and the good. So you've done a lot of work on um, editorial, competition-driven TV, but you've also delved into daytime TV, which is a very specific type of not just cooking but recipes as well. It's usually tied to a holiday or a season or something like that. How did you transition to daytime TV? And how did you have to change what you were cooking or were they coming to you for what you were cooking? So listen, if you're a chef and you're saying, I want to start doing these, you lost. Yo, you're lost. Like it's one of those things where like, yo, you don't go out to try to do this. It just hopefully you're doing well with your PR company and your PR firm get sent these, these asks. Daytime cooking TV. It's awesome. It gives you a platform. Um, you know, I, you know, the, the, my mom in Chicago can see me at 10 o'clock in the morning, but Love it. Show all of her friends. Yep. 
they love it. My mom said, oh, why didn't you tell me? I was like, mom, I don't know. I just get my mind. And then you, 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 you fit a recipe or something you're doing into their style, right? And are you writing your own recipes? Are, are they yeah, helping with stunts? What's going on with that? You give them a recipe and then they, they recipe test it. And then they send back comments like, hey, this worked. This didn't work. Hey, this fish sauce, someone in, you know, Dubuque, Iowa, yeah. can't find it. Is there a substitute you can have for that? So, you know, you have, it has to be so, you know, Top Chef and like something like Night Fight, it's, it's kind of niche right? It's yeah. raw. Where when you do daytime, you better be, you better be for everybody because that's their, that's their, you know, that's where they're gearing it towards. Like, you know, when, when, listen, you can't have like, oh, it's a Thanksgiving and I'm, I'm going to, I'm using it now because I'm going to start getting the inquiries about it. Your Thanksgiving recipe. You can't have like, yo, this is a chopped masala, cranberry, something. People are like, yo, what's chopped masala? Nobody, you know what I mean? Like no one, no one. But even doing Cornish game hen or something that isn't like a turkey recipe or something like that. But you also have to be a chef who's confident in your food and know that this is one part of you that's on TV correct? versus the whole part of you that's being represented. Yeah, this isn't you, right? This is like a part of what you do. It's a, it's a, it's, it, fits, it fills everybody's need, right? These daytime guys, they need a chef to kind of like talk about recipes for Thanksgiving. And then you're a chef that like, you know, you have Thanksgiving and you want some press. So would you say your approach is that... I know you're talking about daytime TV and being able to access everybody, but we also spoke about being really authentic to yourself. And it sounds like as you moved into daytime, you're sort of finding this new lane to fit into where like you're establishing your TV personality by accessing this major sort of middle ground in order to bring people to who you are authentically down the line. Oh, uh, 100%. Well, how did your approach help you get your show on Taste Made all up in my grill? Listen, man, shout outs to the one and only Darren. Oh, Resnitz. I know that he, guy. Uh, yeah, I know him. I think he, he took a chance. He made a connection. He, um, but I think he, I, he also understands my POV. Like, um, I'm not going to do, I'm not going to sh- uh, show up to a show like all of my grill and just do like, we're doing chicken with barbecue sauce on it. We the coleslaw and some, you know. We're gonna we're gonna flip it on its head and and make people think about it and um, you know season one I thought we really did that and season two I thought we also did that. Um, what was your approach that you took in hosting that made that happen? Be as creative as possible while shopping at your local grocery store. Mm. That was one of my approaches. Really? What can I get at a grocery store and be creative as possible and not like in not like my grocery stores that are like super, you know, like I go find, you know, I'll go find anchovies or I'll find those little brine shrimp to make kimchi at this Korean Hanam or H Mart. Yeah. 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 No, you're talking about the Ralph's, the Acme's, the Safeways. Be as creative as possible at at Acme. And that's how you're going to connect with more people. I love that. Because yeah, you could, you could get on the show and yo, go find tamarind leaf, fresh tamarind, and and baby ginger this big. Who's gonna follow that recipe? Nobody. 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 It's impossible to find. Right. You know, but if you say, hey, you know what? Go find green cabbage, mm-hmm. and go find Worcestershire sauce, and you can make an ill version of a of a banchan, mm. and um, it's easy to easy to make, um, and a fermented cabbage and. People are like, I have that in my, I have that in my. Oh, hell yeah. And then they're excited about it. 
you know, especially when you're tasked with doing something like a grilling show where there's been a ton of grilling shows before that, it's a balancing act because on one hand, you know that people want a surefire, impressive burger, hot dog, chicken breast, corn. On the flip side, you also want to be putting your own spin on it and putting your own personality on it along with the stories. Where did you that balance strike for you? I think the balance, it has to start off with something that I want to eat. Yeah. Yo, if you want to eat it, if I want to eat it, I'm going to be excited about it. I'm going to be excited about talking about it. I'm going to be excited about cooking it. All those recipes were legit things that I cooked at home on a grill. So Mm -hmm. that's how it started with me. And I think that's how you balance the creative side with, you know, what is going to strike on a, a chord with a with the viewers yeah. and you have to think about like what is the net the network has needs right yes yes i don't think people understand it's a balance between you as the talent yep. the production company that's hired to bring in this whole crew to shoot it the network and sometimes multiple networks that are banking on this to be a success um not to mention whether they need something for a stunt or for a brand or for something else that's going on like there's so many voices involved in making a series totally all of that aside when i when when Darren came to me with all up in my grill and he said hey you know we want to talk to you about this and you know make some recipes it was easy because i was just like let's just focus on making dope food right now really good tasty dope food that's interesting yeah. that's um that's doable right not like a 15-step, let's pull some tweezers out, let's put yeah, some microbeans. Of course. <laughs> Wild. It's a grill, so let's make food that's actually approachable to make. And when you talk about approachable, right, I think someone people think, oh, you're selling out, you're making this like chick- white chicken breast on a thing. No, it, it just has to be interesting and easy enough for them, someone to execute it on Tuesday. Yeah. That's how I approach it. Um, and hopefully it translates. Yeah, I think it does. It's a great show. Now you have your restaurant, you have your TV career, everything's blowing up. How were you able to find balance that really benefited both of those career paths? You know, you never, you never find balance. Something's going to suffer. Something suffers. And whether it's your personal life, it's your mental health, whether it's the state of the business, whether it's you not being able to give everything to when you show up for a shoot, um, being prepared. um, And look, we all know that running restaurants is a financially tenuous game. It is very razor thin margins. It's really tough to get people not just to come in once, but to come back. Mm-hmm. So, did you see running restaurants and then also being on TV as working together, where in some ways it's marketing the restaurants so people could experience it, and that you found success by balancing both? Totally. Opening restaurants and being on TV, they both feed into each other. It's just at the level when you start to have more than a few restaurants. Sure. It's like, that's when it gets really hairy because then that person's like, oh, I don't see him here. It's like, hey, well, he has three or four restaurants. How can he, he can't be everywhere at once. And your investors are saying, hey, you're spending more time on TV than you are at the restaurants. And you're saying, hey, you know what? Like, I'm not really getting paid at the restaurants. Mm. Like, I didn't get paid from the restaurants for like a year and a half. And you're like, I got to go on TV to feed my family. Feed my family. I got to make a book. I got to like restaurants, the overhead on restaurants and how much and uh, how much it costs to run a restaurant it's not enough for everyone to eat when you have three partners and it's like not everyone's going to get there so i i volunteered i was like i'm not going to take a check for a while because i am making money off my side stuff mm-hmm. which became my main gig right and i think that's what people understand it's like that became my main gig and i had to feed my family through all the media that i was doing mm. so um yeah there is no ba- like you know the short answer is there is no balance right you just you just try 
to do the best that you can and give give everything that you have on that day. That's my thing. Is I don't look two months, one month, whatever in advance. I look at the you have to look at what you have to do today and give that your all and then move on to the next. So Yeah. Um those are the things that when you see someone who grinds as hard as Bobby, you do two days and then show up at his restaurants, then you start to respect like, yo, that dude's one has an amazing team behind yes. him. Yes. To keep him in, he does. To keep him in line. I use him as, as such an example because he's done the dump and stir. He does the competition. He does all these things. But like legit, you know, go to a restaurant of his and you eat and you'll be like, this is good. Yeah. yeah. This is really good. Yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. Well, in each of these mediums, both restaurants and media or television are such competitive fields. So there are a lot of people that both want to succeed in the restaurant industry as well as in the TV industry. As in, in the hospitality world, we, I think a lot of times we, this is not advice, but it's something that I think I've learned. It's, I've learned that I want to tell other chefs and people who are in this world, um, right? You got to take care of your mental health, but your financial health. Mm. And I think it's something because a lot of chefs don't, don't believe they'll like live past 30 or 40. They just say live, they, uh, live fast, die young. But um, when you start to get to this point is the, the sooner you can be financially um, responsible for your, you know, for the rest of your life, the easier this ride becomes because mm-hmm. you're not relying on check to check. You're saying, hey, you know what? I've set a foundation and it's easier said than done. But like financial literacy is so, so important. And for a lot of chefs, we just don't have that right. A lot of times we're not in restaurants that offer a 401k. Our benefit packages are trash. Yeah. We're like, listen, you got to do that work on your own. And it makes it, – it, it, there's an end of the road. There's the there's a light at the end of the tunnel with this. And I think a lot of chefs, they don't get into that. And it's, it's, it's terrible. But we have to have that. So we're not on the line at 50. Yeah. You yeah. Can't, no. You can't do that. You can't be on the line. You can't be on the line past in your mid forties. Say that. Honestly, it's the same for production. Yeah. At some point you gotta be behind a desk. Yeah, you can't grind it out for twelve hours like you know, back to back to back and like just getting yelled at by like, you know, video villages screaming in your ear, other people screaming their you know, the brand screaming in your ear. You can't do that. Like it's no. just, your mental health, you can't do that. You have to guys get to your level. Start, you have to be part of the creation and, and executing of the creation, not, you know, there when it's being created yeah. in the early stages. I love so. that. I'll say this, guys. For me, for my personal experience, listen, and I ain't won shit. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't win nothing. Um, I was successful on the, on the – I feel like I was successful in the fact that people remembered who I was. Mm. And, remember my personality and remember my yeah. food. I've been more successful now than I've ever been. Mm. Um, and I do believe that like those things go hand in hand, right? I have one restaurant. I can give it all my attention, but I can also do my media stuff where people can see me and go to that one restaurant. And, say, is, and people, DM, people DM me and say, hey, are you going to be there on Saturday? Because that's when most people call it Tita Restaurants. I can say, yes, I absolutely will be there. 100%. Yeah. People right now, it's great with social media they can DM you directly and say, Hey, I made this from your cookbook. I made this from your mm. cooking show and it turned out amazing. Yeah. And that, that to me is winning when you, when you've done this 
that to me, and I told my wife, I go, my God, I can't tell you how many people on Twitter, like, or on Instagram DM me a picture of something they saw me make on all of my grill. And it, it really warmed your heart. You're like, wow, I really was able to, like, I was there or I influenced you yeah. to get, and that's the whole ethos of the grill. When Darren yeah. and I were talking about the grill, it's like, well, what are we trying to do? I'm trying to get you to spend more time grilling, eating with your family, making your own food. Yeah. And if, if we did any of that, it's a, it's a it's a major success. So we have a little segment called A Little Takeaway where we ask some fun follow-up questions, speed round, if you will. Um, we're going to kick it off with uh, what is your favorite item to put on your rider or to eat off the crafty table? Rider is easy. Favorite items, too. It's Nike ankle socks and sugar-free Red Bulls. Got to have those. The ankle socks, they're like, yo, did you not bring socks? I'm like, no, nah, I just want to know that you like actually care about it. <laughs> uh, off the crafty table, you know what I've been getting in on? Those kind mm. bars. Okay. It sucks because then, you know, like HMU will, hair and makeup will come in and be like, yo, you got mad. You, you got like raisin hair. You got, you got uh, some chia seeds. You got some sesame oh, seeds. Some dehydrated organic blueberries in your teeth. Yeah. What is one of your guilty pandemic purchases? Man, this stupid thing's chilling in my basement. It's not the Peloton, but it's like, it's a bike. And it was like 1200 bucks, and I just haven't even touched it, and it, it sucks. <laughs> Got to get back on that bike. Uh, what's the first job you ever had? I was a telemarketer. At like 14, I would call houses and be like, hi, do you want to take a survey? Like, no. That's how you got your tough skin before going into restaurants. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> what is your favorite item to bring to a dinner party? It's like my version of a paella. Or a tadig, you know, like the, mm-hmm. the Persian rice. It's dope because then, like, you know, you bring it, it's still in the pot, and you flip it over, and you're like, Pah. it's always a stunner. It's enough. Mm. So, what is your karaoke song? It's so bad. Is, is it is it Third Eye Blind Jumper? Mm. <laughs> the group? Yeah. It's so bad. Dude. I learned that. Yo, I'm like a straight hip hop kid from, from like, from old school. But when I went to culinary school, there was like this white kid from Arizona, and he was all about this band, and I was like, Dude, what the fuck is this music? And I'm like, oh, man, this song's dope, man. I like this. <laughs> what is the ultimate ingredient? Oh, rice. I eat rice every day, and I never get sick of it. can never get sick of it. What is your final meal? Oh, buckle up, because it's like, okay, it's a giant <laughs> ribeye from another tavern. It's uh, an eight-piece spicy with mashed potatoes and dirty rice from Popeye's. It is a, um, it is my mom's chicken adobo. Uh, like, the full... Lobster boil set, corn, <laughs> potatoes, sure. yeah. yeah, shrimp and clams, um, carbonara. Yeah, from where? Bukitini, of carbonara. And uh, for dessert, it's the chocolate pie from Strip House or chocolate cake from Strip House. Mm-hmm. Pecan pie with um, vanilla ice right. cream on it, and uh, a pack of now and laters. What flavor now and laters? Just the variety. The whole every single one. <laughs> every single one. So you want to rip all your teeth out before you go. You're going to die after that. If you're not dying already, you will after this meal. So (laughs) That's why you do it. So you feel so terrible. You're like, just just put it, just, yeah, just end it. All right. Who is one of your biggest inspirations? Um, One of my biggest inspirations. um, It's my parents, my mom and dad. They are, uh, I learned how to work hard from them. I saw the amount of, um, you know, how much they sacrificed for me and my family. And, um, yeah, I, my mom's a fabulous cook. I mean, so good. And I know it's super cliche, but like, dude, my, my dad used to get up at like five o'clock in the morning, 
be at work by six, come home by six. Mm. Filthy. He, he fixed industrial boilers. So he would walk into like a Kellogg's factory in Gary, Indiana and have to fix and weld like these things. And you know, when you see your old man do that and at all hours mm. of the day, someone will call him and be like, you know, two o'clock in the morning, he'd get a phone call, something wrong happened at this factory. He'd go, go to work and like, you know, that shows you like the kind yeah. of, the kind of fortitude you need to work in a restaurant. Mm. Is there anything that Darren and I haven't talked about yet that you have coming up next that we should know about? Yeah, I'm opening. A, I'm, I've got a project in LaGuardia opening a noodle bar and mm. and bar um, in the new head house. What a full circle yeah. moment to start in LaGuardia. And now you're there yeah. to fly into New York City, be in LaGuardia and my first time there. And then all of a sudden opening a restaurant there. It's pretty it's pretty cool. And it's uh, I'm honored to be part of it. And um, yeah, the new head house, if you haven't been there, Terminal B. Wonderful. Congratulations. Congratulations. Del, it was so lovely to get to know you so much better. Thank you so much for coming on and talking to us and sharing with all of our listeners your path, which is so unique and delightful and hilarious. This has been wonderful. You know I'm happy. <laughs> you guys are the best. You know, this this is an amazing show because it's it's one of those it's, for me it's one of those things that none of us really wanted to talk about mm-hmm. because mm. when like guys realize that this is what's going to get you more butts in your seats and it's going to help you spend time with your kids and your family guys attack this with if you want or passionate about this attack this and be and and be good at this because it's a real skill um, being in front of a camera and it's a need there's a yeah. need and. Uh, yeah, it's, it's great. Great you guys are doing this. Thank you. Yeah, thank you thank so you much. Thank you so much, Dale. This episode is brought to you by Roberta's, home of Heritage Radio Network for 10 years. Roberta's was founded in Bushwick in 2008 and has become one of the most iconic restaurants in the country. HRN made its home inside of Roberta's in 2009, and together they have become part of the DIY fabric of the neighborhood. Roberta's, the pizza restaurant, is open for lunch and dinner seven days a week and serves much more than just the famous wood-fired pizzas. Their team dreams up new salads, pastas, and sandwiches on the regular. Roberta's Tiki Bar is alive and well in the back garden, serving up frozen drinks in the summer and hot toddies in the winter. Stop by the bakery and takeout spot next door for fresh breads, sticky buns, and pizzas to go. And of course, there's the two Michelin-starred Blanca tucked away in the garden for truly daring diners. But Roberta's also extends beyond Bushwick, with multiple locations in New York City and now in Los Angeles. You can also find their frozen pies in grocery stores around the country. The spirit of Roberta's, like Heritage Radio Network, is everywhere. Here's to many more years of pizza-powered radio. Learn more about Roberta's at robertaspizza.com. I have to say, that was so nice. It was so nice for me to learn so much about Dell because it's a little embarrassing. I just didn't know much about him. And my God, that guy is full of a lot of information. And I think he's so generous with it. To be so self-aware about who he was, or at least his TV personality was. Mm-hmm. Because of two different people and how that's evolved and who he is now. Dell's evolved with the times. He came out when competition came out, basically. He was in the like early phases of competitive series when it opened up to the everyday man and he mm-hmm. filled an archetype and then he evolved as culinary programming evolved. But what I really like about Dale and what I've seen him, especially on 
all up in my grill is that he really is trying to teach people how to cook. And like, he's always trying to give yeah. tips and tie things to like his own life. And um, it's a great way to connect. Yeah. Yeah. Give a little peek into his Filipino background, like opened up communities in it to experience new things. And I think that he continues to do that in his television programming. Yeah. Him talking about sharing his experience with chefs who have been on Top Chef or on TV and are like, oh, I thought this was the top of the mountain. And he's like, it's top of a mountain, but there are other peaks to climb. Mm-hmm. Here's what I've learned. Here's how I've learned it. Here's the mistakes I made. I'll give you my knowledge and then you do with it as you will. And I think that that is really, really warm and encouraging to hear that even though he found his fame in competition, he doesn't see himself with competition with other chefs who are also on TV. Yeah. I think that he is a really great example of this sort of like dream that is hard to reach that a lot of people Mm. imagine this is like to hear the things that you hope it is, right? That somebody gets out there, they break in, they work Mm. hard, it changes their life, it opens up doors for them, and now they're turning it around in other ways, like you just said, to bring more people in. That's a beautiful thing. Well, April, always a pleasure. Always a pleasure. Thank you for sharing your friend with us. You really paused on that always a pleasure with me. Sometimes a pleasure. (laughs) (laughs) Mediocre, good interaction. (laughs) Yeah. No, I'm I'm so grateful that you brought him in. Um, It's always exciting when I get to learn something along with everybody else. And huge shout out to Heritage Radio Network, as always, for partnering with us and supporting us in this process. To our listeners, what should they do, Darren? They should subscribe, rate, tell their friends. And if they have any questions or want to hear about any aspects of the food TV world, please get in touch. Drop us a DM. Send us an email. Yes. And as we are rapidly approaching the finish line of the first season, Darren and I will be doing a Q&A episode where Mm -hmm. we answer some of the questions we've received from listeners with regard to the season. So now is the time, my friends. Throw any questions or thoughts you have our way, and we will do our best to address them in our final episode of season one. Okay, cool. Listen to wherever podcasts are available so you can add your name to the culinary call sheet. This show is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. Keep in touch at heritageradionetwork.org slash subscribe.